Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here on this very, very interesting day as far as the weather is concerned. I mean, were you already getting your short pants out and your short sleeves out, and now we're at 28 degrees out there. But hey, there is hope. It's going to be 80 degrees on Friday. So, okay, that's just Tennessee. And that's why you'll probably hear me kind of sound a little bit different today because I've been struggling with the allergies. But we welcome you, and we really welcome those back online because last week we were offline. We had no internet. We had lots of things going on, but we're so glad to kind of get back to where we need to be. You know, here's the thing I want to, I want to tell you. I live out on the west end of town, uh, and, and one of the things that I have started to notice on my way into town, and it's just a couple of miles from here. I mean, it's not very far. But one of the things I've started to notice is that people have become a little more expressive about who they are and what they believe. And one of the things and one of the ways that they're starting to communicate that is by flying a flag on their house, on their flagpole, you know, off the gutter. Uh, again, I, I think one day on two streets from my street to Main Street, I counted six different types of flags that people had hanging on their property. And you think about it, and, and you start to understand that we live in a culture now where people will fly a, fa a flag uh, to express themselves, to let you know this is who I am or this is what I believe. Uh, and again, as good old Southern people, uh, we're, we're still kind of a little bit redneck. You know, we're, we're also apt to to hang one off the back of our truck, right? I mean, I mean, you know, I, I kind of remember growing up, it was nothing uncommon. Uh, we call it a roundabout now, but the square, to see people going around the square with their flags, uh, promoting whatever it was they were promoting, their heritage or whatever they wanted to promote, because they were, that was just something that they wanted you to understand. That's what they were. That's what they believed in. And, and again, it just seems to be more common with all the political division that we have going on and, and all just the back and forth that, that flying a flag just allows me to let you understand who I am and what I believe. And I don't have to, you know, have a confrontation with you. It's just a way that I can let you know up front, this is my belief and this is who I am. Now, here's the thing I want you to think about this morning. Think about the idea of the importance of people and a flag, and one of the things that I kind of want to kind of cue in today and maybe the next couple of weeks is this idea of a white flag. I've talked about this before. You know, the, the white flag, we've seen it in the, uh, the war movies, uh, is kind of like this international idea to communicate protection. It, 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 it's, it's, the, it's really, uh, you know, the, basically a way to say that uh, I want to request a, a, a ceasefire, a, a negotiation. It, it really is, the white flag is something that symbolizes surrender. It really tells us that uh, an approaching person, maybe a negotiator, is coming to us, and they're coming to us unarmed, or they are approaching with an intent to communicate to us, or maybe an intent to surrender, because that's really what a white flag is all about. And international law tells us that a, a white flag, a person bearing a white flag, that person is not to be fired upon. And they're not allowed to fire upon anybody else based on international law. And, and you think about this idea of a white flag and realize that we've, realizing that we've seen it in movies. It, it's really interesting because if you trace back this idea of a white flag, it goes all the way back to 190 A.D. and the Roman Empire. The historian Cornelius Tactus mentions a white flag. Now, up until that time, before that time, Roman armies would surrender, not by using a white flag, but they would surrender by holding their, their shields up over their heads. But the color white and the white flag was widely recognized in the Middle Ages and in Western Europe as this indication of surrender or intent to surrender. And the color white was generally used to indicate that a person was exempt from combat. 
Heralds would bear white wands. Prisoners or hostages captured in battle would, would take a piece of white paper or a piece of white fabric and they would tie that to the helmet they were wearing so that they would not be attacked or that they would not be killed. And here's the thing, with, with, that, with this whole idea of surrender and this white flag thing, I want us to, what I really want to do over the next three weeks is I want to spend talking about one of what I believe is the most elusive com, uh, commodities that I think exists in our world today. And, and when we talk about this commodity, we're not, we're not talking about something that, that we don't know anything about. It's something that everyone chases. But even though everybody is chasing this very elusive commodity, there are very few people who attain it. And while most of us don't know how to define it and most of us don't know how to get it, there's something in our heart that instinctively knows that we're not at home until we have it. And you might be asking, what, what is this elusive commodity? I want you to look at the screen behind me. It's very, very simple. It's peace. I mean, think about it. It's peace. The commodity that I'm talking about and the commodity that I'm going to be talking about the next three weeks is peace. And again, if you were here during the last series, the last four-week series, Miracles, I actually started in week one, and I built that whole series on a statement that I made. I really built that series on a foundation that I made in that very first week. And this morning, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to do the very same thing today. I'm going to build this three, probably a three-part series because we're coming up on Easter really quick. But probably the next three weeks, I'm going to build this on this statement that I'm going to show you in just a minute. I'm not going to show you just now, but in just a moment, I'm going to show you a statement. And the next couple of weeks are going to be built on that statement. And here's the thing. I want you to understand. I told you during the Miracle Series, you need to be taking notes. And I know it's hard sometimes to see in here because we keep it dark where the focus is in front of you. But use your flashlight. Bring a light with you. Bring, bring a book light. Do whatever you need to do. Take some notes. Bring paper. Bring a pen. Bring your Bible. Bring a journal. Make some notes because there are things that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. I'm not the only one speaking. He's speaking. And when he speaks, there are things that you are going to want to remember. Here's one of those things. Let me, let me show you this statement. The secret to discovering unexplainable peace is learning to surrender. And not just surrender, to wholeheartedly surrender which is the reason why I'm going back again and using the reference of a white flag. Because the white flag is the symbol of surrender. Now, here's what I would really tell you this morning. I want to encourage you already to be here next week because we're going to talk about how this commodity, this principle, impacts our relationship. Peace. How does, it, how does peace impact every single relationship that we have? And the week after that, we're going to talk about how this principle actually impacts those relationships with the rest of the world and really those people who believe differently than we do. Because can I just tell you this and be honest with you? Most of those flags that I pass from my house to West Main Street... People are flying those, and you know, just by putting those flags out, you know what they're telling me? They believe something totally different than I do. That's what the flag communicates. This is who I am. This is what I believe, and I'm going to put a flag out so that you understand that. And you know what? When I pass those flags and I see those flags, I already know. That's who they are, and that's what they believe. So I think it requires us to talk about, if that's the case, how do we have peace with the rest of the world, especially when there are people out there who believe differently than we do? But today I want to talk about how this principle impacts your circumstances. 
Now, as we get started today, I want to start by looking at one of the most crippling forces to attack our peace. And the crippling force I'm talking about is something that is on every one of your minds right now. It's worry. Worry. I mean, just think about the stuff that we have going on in our world today. Because when you think about what's happening in our world today, worry is one of those things that is at the top of every person's list. Now think about it. Worry is the thing that keeps you from taking a risk. I mean, worry is the thing that keeps you from taking a chance. Worry is the thing that keeps you from going on the adventures that you know you should go on. Worry is the very thing that keeps you from doing the things that you know God wants you to do. Worry is the thing that evades your, uh, it erodes your faith. Worry is the thing that can eat away at your faith and your trust in God. Worry keeps you from connecting and loving other people the way that you should because worry causes you to be obsessed with your own personal circumstances. So I think the best thing that we can do this morning is to get started by looking at a couple of verses that are going to be, they're going to be very familiar. And these verses are found in the book of Philippians. You're very familiar with this because I've taught from these verses in a different context a hundred different times. But Paul writes these verses in Philippians 4. And initially, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. And here's what Paul says. Paul says this, Do not worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need. Always giving thanks. And God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, let me just say this. In what we just read, Paul makes this extraordinary statement. And I think most of us would admit that it is a very extraordinary statement. Because Paul says, don't worry. And, and, and the reason that this is such an extraordinary statement is because Paul isn't saying, don't, don't, don't worry about, you know, the five pounds you gained on spring break. He's, he, he's not saying don't worry about the fact that your, your stocks are down. Don't worry about the fact that your NCAA bracket is busted. Is anybody's busted? I mean, man, I, 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 let me tell you, I, and I know I, don't, I try to stay away from politics and sports. And, and, and again, uh, but yesterday was Tennessee unbelievable. I mean, such a physical game. I'm a Vanderbilt fan. We're used to losing. But to watch Tennessee just fight it out with Duke, it was so physical. That's not what Paul is talking about. It's not like he's saying, don't worry if you found another gray hair or anything like that. What Paul is actually saying in the original text, in his letter to the church at Philippi, is don't be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious when you get fired. Don't be anxious when the money is tight. Don't worry when you get betrayed by a friend. Don't worry when you get back a report from the doctor that's not good, that's not favorable. Don't worry. Don't, don't be anxious about those things when they happen to you in life. And see, it, it's easy for us to say, you know what? That's easy for him to say, but you, he, whoa, 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 time out, time out. You got, you got to understand. The guy who's writing this is a guy who had a lot of problems. Paul is not writing this from a hotel room at the Phoenician in Scottsdale. He's not there. Paul was writing this to us from prison, and I, and I think I'm right that I read this in the last two months they have actually discovered what is believed to be the actual prison where Paul wrote this. What does the scripture say? The rocks will cry out, testifying. And that's what you see happening right now. They're finding proof that this is the place where Paul actually wrote this. Paul was writing from prison. And here's the thing that's really interesting. As Paul is writing this and pinning this, 
He didn't even know if he was going to be alive the next day. Now, let me time out there again. Surviving the next day, it's becoming a little personal now to me. Because I'm going to tell you, for the first time in my life, I don't know who was with me. Somebody in the church was with me. But I was somewhere, and somebody asked me how old I was, and I got offended. I was like, you don't even know me. And this lady asked me how old I was, and I was like, whoa, come on, sister, hold up. I've never done that before in my life. The reason is probably because I'm getting a little older. I mean, good gosh. I mean, but you know you're getting older, right? I mean, here's the thing about getting older. They're just indications that happen to you and tell you that you're getting older. You know how I first started to notice I was getting older? I started to obsess about the weather. I mean, can anybody hear me? I mean, do you know what I'm talking? I mean, do you understand? Why is it that when you get older, you obsess about the weather? And bowel movements. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, let's just be honest. (laughs) I mean, those are the two things. Well, I mean, you obsess about the weather because, again, and again, I understand if you're visiting and that offended you, you probably won't like us anyway, okay? So, uh, why do you obsess about the weather? Because... I can tell you why, because your joints are more a predictor of the weather than the weather bug app. Am I right? I mean, it's just right. It could be that your headaches identify the weather 24 hours before the weatherman is able to do it. That's the first indicator that I had that I was getting older. I obsessed about the weather. The second indicator was that I started taking and still do take, I mean, look down there in my bag, and there's a big bottle of Excedrin migraine. I take it like vitamins. People no longer see you as a hypochondriac because you actually have all the things wrong with you. You're no longer, you actually have those things going on. The third indicator that I was getting older is people, you know, I would talk to people about, well, how did you sleep last night? How did I sleep? I mean, I mean, does it, I mean you talk about how you sleep. What was the quality of your unconsciousness last night? Now, let me just think about this. No eight-year-old kid goes to school on Monday and says, hey, how'd you guys sleep last night? That's just not something they're going to talk about. But look at Psalms 4, verse 8. Here's what it says. Look at the first two words. It says, in peace, look at it, in peace I will lie down and sleep For you alone, Lord, make me dwell in safety. Can I just be honest with you and tell you many nights I don't sleep in peace? I don't always lie down and sleep in peace. Because more often than not, I wake up about 2 o'clock and my mind is going 100 miles an hour. I mean, it's just going 100 miles an hour. Sometimes I'm worrying about a problem that I have to solve. Sometimes I'm worrying about a decision that I have to make, and I don't want to have to make the decision. Sometimes I'm worrying about a difficult conversation that I know I'm going to have to have with somebody. And in that conversation, you know what? I'd just rather not have the conversation. I worry about my kids. I worry about money. I worry about something that I know that I've done wrong and how I'm going to deal with that. I I mean, it happens all the time. I start to worry. Listen, And then in my imagination, I spin off all these different scenarios that actually make the worry worse. And that's some of you. Some of you are worriers, and you know that you're a worrier. Some of you worry about how much you worry. But some of you, at the very same time, Don't recognize the worry because worry takes on so many different forms. Now, listen to me this morning. I believe that as a fallen human being, all of us are going to struggle with this. As fallen human beings, I believe that all of us are going to struggle with this. And whatever our coping style, we're going to struggle with this at some level. 
So here's the very first question that I want to put up on the screen this morning. And the question is this. How do I find peace in my circumstances? And let me jump right back to the screen again to give you something else. The very first way that you find peace is that you give up control. That's where we start. We give up control. And I know I've asked you to repeat something like this before. We're going to put it up on the screen so that you can see it. But let's all say this together. This is going to help us repeat this. There is a God and it's not me. I thought it was going to be on the screen. There is a God and it's not me. There we go. Let's say it all again together really loud. There is a God and it's not me. God has not made you the master of the universe. There is a God. It's not you. You are not the master of the universe. So with that being said, where does worry come from? Now think about that question. Where does worry come from? Because when you think about the question, where does worry come from, I think that there is an illusion out there that's very common to us. And the illusion is this. The reason, Randy, that I worry is because I have all these problems. That's the reason why I worry. And if I didn't have all of these problems, if the problems in my life would just go away, then I wouldn't have to worry anymore. And that, my friends, is the illusion. That, my friends, is the illusion. Because we have to remember that worry takes many forms. And we all deal with it in some way. Sometimes it's the pain of anxiety. Sometimes worry comes in the form of being a workaholic. Sometimes people deal with worry or try to avoid worry by medicating themselves with alcohol or achievements or the Internet. And very often we deal with worry by what I call control mode. By going into control mode. But here's something that you need to know when it comes to this idea of control. Control is an addictive illusion which will permeate your consciousness over time. And reality starts here with this recognition of what we just said a while ago. I am not in control. Let's go back and say it again. There is a God. It's not me. Say it again. There is a God but it's not me. I mean, think about it. Can you guarantee that you're going to stay healthy? No, you can't. Let me tell you, you can eat right, you can fast, you can do all of those things, you can go to the doctor, you can exercise twice a day and see the doctor once a week, but guess what? Your clock is still ticking. The clock is still ticking on you. You ever notice that? You ever look in the mirror The clock is still ticking because ultimately your body is not under your control. I mean, think about it. Can you control the economy? No. You can work hard. You can try to save. You can put your money in the bank. But ultimately, the economy is way beyond mere human power to be able for us to control. Can you make your spouse change? Well, there is some ambiguity to this question. I will say that, but the correct answer would be no. You can't make your spouse change. God can make your spouse change, but you can't make your spouse change. Can you control if your date this Friday night is going to be a loser? No, you can't. Can you control your kids? No. Can you control your job? No. So the first thing that you need to do is just, you know what, stop, time out, give up control. 
Here's the second thing. Look at the second thing. Again, make notes. I, I, oh, I didn't say this a while ago. I left a place on the worship guide on the back so that you could write it there. So if you don't have a pencil on a piece of paper, that's where you write it. Here's the second thing. Take your worries to God. Give up control, but the second thing is take your worries to God. And let me just say this this morning. This is very important because as a general rule, you cannot free yourself from worry just by saying that I'm going to do everything I can not to worry. Just telling yourself relax or, or, or beating up yourself because you can't make yourself stop feeling anxious is not effective. It's not effective at all. So Paul makes this connection. Instead, Paul makes and talks about a connection between worry and prayer. What Paul is saying is, don't worry, pray. Instead of worrying about your kids and your job and your money situation and your health, instead of worrying about that, just pray about that. And that's really the truth for you this week. That, that, that's the one thing you can take out of here this week. Don't worry, pray. That's what I can give you today. If you don't get anything else, that's the truth for the week. Don't worry about it. Pray about it. Because in Scripture, there's this very important connection between worry and prayer. Peter puts it like this, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Here's, here's what it says. Give all your worries to him because he cares about you. Now think about that. Give all your worries to him because he cares about you. When, whenever a, a worry comes your way, whenever a, a, an anxious thought comes your way, a worried feeling comes your way, you know what you're supposed to do? The scripture tells you you're supposed to just fling that to God. Just fling it to God. Just throw it right at him and don't worry about it. Just give it to him. When you start feeling anxious about something, something somebody did to you, something that you've got to do, something that's happened to you, a situation, a circumstance, give it to God. I want you to look at a thought that I had this week as I was prepping for today. And here, here it is. I'm going to put it up behind me. The best way to learn to worry about nothing is for us to pray about everything. Now, 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 Bo, leave that up there just a minute. That doesn't mean that you're not going to worry about stuff. Praying doesn't mean that you never feel worried. The idea is this, though. Anytime you feel a tinge of anxiety, a tinge of concern, a tinge of worry, God wants you to do something. Bring it to him. Take it directly to him. Instead of you worrying about it and, oh, I just don't know, I just don't know. Instead of you doing that, just bring it right to him. Give it to him and tell him about it. Because it's not your job to take away the anxious feelings. Now, listen to me. I'm speaking to you in honesty. Maybe they'll go away. Maybe they won't. You can't control that, so don't beat yourself up trying to do that. Because your job is this. When you have anxiety and pain and worry, you just take that directly to God. And you do that by praying. And you can do that. All of us can do that. Now, now here's, the, here's, the, here's the next point that I want to make. And this, this kind of tags along with this whole idea of prayer. L look behind me. Listen and respond. Listen and respond. You have anxiety, you have worry, you have pain in your life, and you just give it to God. We can do that because we all can pray. 
But again, tagging onto that is this idea of listening and responding. We can pray, but we need to listen and respond and make that a part of your prayer life. Because we need to understand prayer is a two-way conversation. Now think about it. You you don't see it that way. Many of you don't see it that way. Prayer is a two-way conversation. And this is especially important as you and I are casting our cares to God. We don't just talk, we need to listen. Because see, in my mind, there's a key question here. As I give my anxiety, my worry to God, I need to listen and ask God, Okay, God, I'm going to give this to you. But is there any question or concern that you have that I need to do on my part? God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give you my job situation. But God, as I give this to you, is there any action that you want me to take about this concern that I have, about this worry, about this anxiety? Because here's the thing, sometimes the concern that you have, God's going to give you a prompt for action that you need to take. Remember what I said in the last series? There's a natural element to the supernatural. We have to position, many times there's something that we have to do to position ourselves to receive the miraculous. And it's the same way here. When we're praying about something that's worrying us, when we're praying about anxiety that we have, when we're praying about something that we're dealing with and we give that to God, we have to, at the very same time, listen to God's voice and see if there's any action that He wants us to take. I remember several years ago, I was lying in bed one night. I was there, Jenny was there, and we were just lying there and trying to go to sleep. You know how that is. And, and, and all of a sudden, we heard this unbelievable noise. Jenny said, did you hear that? I was like, no, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> now, l- let me ask you a question. Why would I say no? Because I knew if I said yes, I was going to have to do something about it. Did you hear that? No, I didn't hear anything. Because if I acknowledged that I had heard it, it meant that I was going to have to get out of bed and do something about it. And see, that's the odd thing about us. Because sometimes as human beings, we will spend days and weeks and months and even years. We will spend more time and energy and emotion worrying about something than we'll spend time taking positive steps to help prevent the very thing that we're worried about in the first place. I mean, think about it. We'll spend 10 times or 20 times or 100 times more energy worrying about something than we would spend taking time making the steps towards resolution of the very thing that's worrying us. And let me just say, as a general rule, that's not God's will. So very often the thing that will happen in prayer is that you're going to take something to God and you're going to say, God, this is worrying me to death. The anxiety of this is just killing me. And you're going to give it to God. You're going to cast it at his feet. And you're going to listen. And God's going to say, okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you to get up and take a step 
and move towards resolution of the very thing that you're praying for. I mean, maybe you're concerned about your money, your finances. And in the midst of all the things that you're going through, looking at the economy, looking at things, you know, layoffs and and all this stuff, you're just worried if you're going to have enough money to make it. But even in the fact that you're worried that you're going to have enough money, you know what you've never done? You've never done anything about it. You're worried about your finances, but at the very same time that you're worried about your finances, you've never taken the time to sit down and put together a budget. Or maybe you're concerned about your marriage. And as you pray about it, God will say to you, I need you to do something positive. Maybe God will say about your marriage, I need you to do something positive about your relationship with your spouse. And so I want you to get the name of a really good counselor who is a Christian. So you can go or the two of you can go together and you can get on the solution side of this issue that you brought to me, this issue that you're praying about. See, here's the thing I want you to hear me, Crossroads. you you got to understand this. You can't just pray about it and think that God is going to take care of it. It doesn't work that way. Because so many times in the prayer that you're praying, there's going to be something God has for you to do. There's going to be a way that God wants you to respond. So listen and respond. Let's say it together. Listen and respond. Here's the next thing. The next thing is this. Focus on the care and the love of God. Now, when you think about it, this is, just, this is the very thing that was really amazing when it came to Paul writing this. Paul is writing this to us from prison. Who does that? Maybe he's going to be executed the next day. He doesn't know. I mean, Paul really didn't know what was in store for him from one day to the next. And no matter the fact that all of these things could have happened to Paul, Paul sits there on the inside of a prison and writes to people on the outside. Now think about that. And he says to us from prison, don't worry. Don't be anxious about anything. I mean, who does that? How does he do that? Let me tell you how Paul does that. Paul does that because he's convinced that there's somebody that's bigger than he is. And that person who is bigger than he is, is actually sitting there with him in that prison cell. See, Paul can write this because he knows that he's not in that prison alone. Paul's convinced that he's not alone. And he's not really very vulnerable about what matters. Because what Paul says to me and to you is what matters the most is for you and I to live in the love and the care of God. And he conveys to us, no matter what is happening in your life, there's nothing in this world that can threaten the love and the care of God. There's nothing that can threaten that. So think about that. When you think about it, that's not what's at stake. The fact that I'm living in the love and the care of God, that's not at risk. I'm not vulnerable to anything, not even to death itself. And and then there's like this power dimension. Paul says in just a few more lines in his letter to the church at Philippi, he says, For I can do all things. I can handle anything through Christ who gives me strength. And you think about that, that really is the message of the gospel. 
If you've asked Jesus Christ to be the friend and the Lord and the Savior of your life, if Jesus is your Savior, you have no reason ever to worry, to be anxious. Because you live in the hand of God. No matter what it might be in your life that you're facing right now. Does that mean that God's going to fix all the problems that you face? All the pain, all the trouble, all the discomfort, all the loss? Does that mean that that's all going to go away? Probably not. But this is to say that God will not allow any outside force or person to harm the soul that trusts in Him. And Paul is just communicating to us that nothing eternal is at risk. You need to hear what I said. Nothing eternal is at risk. But everything that's temporary is at risk. My job, my bodies, my body, the bodies of the people I love, my money, everything temporal is at risk, but nothing eternal. Because that's what reality really is. Look at Romans 8 with me. Again, Paul's writing here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You want to know something? You can make a decision right now. And you can say, God, I'm not going to carry this burden anymore. I have a new strategy. I'm just going to put that burden, that worry, that anxiety, that pain at your feet. And I'm going to pray. What is it that you have right now that's causing you worry? Let me ask you a question. Would you do that? Would you just, you don't have to get up. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to hold your hand up. You can right there in your spirit, you can take the thing that you brought in with you that you're worrying about, and you can just lay it at his feet. You can do that right now. Would you do that? Symbolically, right where you're seated in your spirit, just give it to him. Put it at his feet. And you've done that. You know what it is. I don't know. You know. But there's one more thing. Maybe God has something that he wants you to do. Maybe there's a step of faith and courage that God wants you to take. So as you put that at his feet, will you listen? And identify if there's anything that you need to do to address that concern or that worry. And whatever it is that God asks you to do about the thing that you've put at his feet, will you? Will you do that? Take a moment and listen to hear what God has to say. Because ultimately it comes down to surrender. Will you surrender today? Will you raise the white flag? Would you pray with me this morning? God, worry is one of those things that can plague the the deepest, most dedicated Christian. 
So many times, God, we give you things and we lay them at your feet, but then we go right back to your feet and we pick those things up. When all we simply need to do is to lay it there, to pray about it and to listen to your voice and to see if there's anything that you want us to do as it relates to the thing that bothers us, that worries us, the anxiety. So God, I basically think it just comes down to us as followers of Jesus Christ taking these simple steps, making room for you and your voice in our lives so that we know how to respond to what you're asking us to do. God, I believe right in these last few moments that people have laid relationships at your feet, that they've laid financial burdens at your feet, that they've laid health uh, issues at your feet. And my prayer this morning is that they would just listen and respond to what it is that you're asking them to do. That they would make room to do and hear your voice, knowing that you are faithful and good to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this, this season in the life of our church. That we can go to your word and we can dig out of there things that are so important as it relates to the life, as it relates to the lives that we're living on this earth. We love you, God, as we take this time to make room for you and to your voice as you speak to us. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace to the world inside.